Welcome to the Yacht Talk Podcast, where we discuss everything yachts, giving you practical advice and insider tips to help you enjoy your yacht to the fullest. And now with you, your host, Miriam Law. In today's episode, we will learn all about yacht insurance and why it plays such an important role when someone is buying a yacht. Hi everyone, welcome to the Yacht Talk podcast. Today I'm here with Kate Murphy from Alliance Marine Risk Management and we're going to be talking about yacht insurance. How are you, Kate? Good, how are you? Good, good. Thank you for having me here. My pleasure. So before we start the interview, I always like to ask people to talk a little bit about themselves. So tell us a little bit of your background. How did you get into the marine industry? How did you get into insurance? Well, it's, uh, I just kind of stumbled into it, to be honest with you. I moved down to Florida. I was always doing some sales before that in marketing. And uh, at the time, this company called Crystal & Company took a chance on me. And uh, I'm actually with the same group of people, so it's been almost seven years now. Later, we've since merged our little department, our yacht division, and we're part of Alliance Marine. But it's the same people, so I've been with the same group of wonderful people for the last six, almost seven years. Wow, very cool. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's dive into our questions. Okay. So first question, Kate. Why is it important for people to insure their yachts? Well... First of all, yachts are not um, inexpensive. They're very expensive toys, um, and you want to protect your assets. So from a, a physical property damage, you want to have coverage on your yacht. But then more importantly, you also want to have the liability because that's where it can get um, very costly. If uh, you're liable for other things, um, hitting somebody else, or there's an injury on board the boat, these expenses can quickly add up. And if you don't have insurance, you're on the hook to pay those. Um, also, nowadays, marinas and shipyards are um, demanding that you have liability to go into a refit period. So if you're going to have work done on your boat or even haul it out to do bottom painting or survey, you're not going to be able to get into the yards um, nowadays without having at least liability coverage in place. Hmm. And what about financing? I think insurance is important when someone is getting financing for their yacht. Well, it's the same as if you're buying a house. You know, they want to make sure that they're, if they're giving you a loan, they want to make sure that it's um, insured for their interest. Um, so a lot of times finance companies will demand that, uh, well, all of them demand that you have insurance, but they'll have um, certain requirements that the, the vessel be um, insured with only uh, 2% whole deductible or lower. So those are things you have to consider if you're getting a loan. Okay. Okay, cool. That's pretty clear. Mm -hmm. And now, because I've heard of people who have yachts and they don't get them insured because it's a lot of money and whatever, you know? And I understand the big risk that it involves. It's mm -hmm. not a very responsible decision to make. But my question is, which percentage of yacht owners actually make insurance claims? every year um i mean that's a vague question and unless um, that would probably be better answered by someone who handles the claim side of the business 
Um, but from what we can say, I guess a rough estimate would be that maybe you're looking at maybe 10%. But again, that's a question more for a claims mm-hmm. person, that's a claims adjuster that wouldn't have more statistics on that, that works either with the carriers or industry hold that can gather that information for you. Okay, yeah. So yeah, because I'm, I'm thinking like uh, some yacht owners that I know that haven't been very responsible and haven't gotten insured. Even uh, Pete, who I work with, once told me a story of a yacht that like crashed into a house because the captain fell asleep, something like that. And mm-hmm. the owner was not insured. And I mean, it's not just paying for your yacht and for your cost of you know repairing mm-hmm. everything you need to do but also for third parties right correct i mean you're gonna have to make that person whole with their home there um, if there was any injuries that could be huge pollution um you know there's lots of things you have to consider with that can quickly add up and there's a it, there's a lot of different things that it can just uh, just make someone extremely financially um in a bad situation yeah Yeah, it's a big risk to take Mm -hmm. to go without insurance. Okay, next question. How is the cost of insurance calculated for a yacht? Always when I'm doing these interviews, we're uh, we're thinking about a hundred foot motor yacht. You know, that's what we always use for the example. So for a hundred foot motor yacht, how would you calculate the cost of an insurance policy? Well, every underwriter rates differently, but the main things that they can look at is the age of the vessel, so obviously the older boats are weighed heavier because there's more that could be um, go wrong with it versus some a boat that's brand new. Um, a lot of times their parts are even under warranty. So that's something to consider. Another thing is the owner's history, so their previous boating history. Do they have a lot of claims history? You know, um, do they not have any claims? These things are weighed into their decision when assessing a risk. Does the yacht have previous claims on it? So um, maybe it's a new owner, but it's a, the yacht had a huge lightning claim. That's something that they are going to have taken into account because they're insuring that vessel too. Um, with, and they might inherit some hidden problems that weren't addressed with the previous owner. Um, other things they look at is the mooring location. So where's the boat going to be primarily moored? Where are they planning to navigate? Depending where you want to navigate will determine the rates because um, if they're going to the Caribbean, Caribbean in, in the summertime where then there's from June 1st to like November 1st, there's a lot of hurricane activity. So that's going to be weighed heavier than if they're up in uh, you know, the Hamptons or up in uh, Newport, Rhode Island, where they're not going to have that activity or it's less likely to have that activity. Um, so those are things to consider when they're assessing a risk. And how do you control, like if someone says, okay, during the summer I'm going to be in Newport, but last minute change of plans, they decide to go to the Caribbean. I mean, is there any way for the insurance company to know? Yeah, well, they have navigating limits on their policy. So it's the yacht owners and their, whoever they hire, so a captain, to be responsible for knowing what their navigating limits are in their mm. policy. So when... Uh, a coverage is bound, the first thing they want to know is, uh, as an agent, I want to find out where's the boat going to be located, where are they planning to go for the year, uh, for the annual term. And based on what they tell me, that's what the underwriter writes for the risk. And if they decide that they want to change their navigating limits, that's fine, but you have to notify your agency 
um, first, your agent, and then they would go to the underwriter and let them know what their change of plans are. Mm. And then they would either be a surcharge if they're going into a higher risk area, or there might be um, a return premium if they're going in a lower risk area. So say they take the boat to... Lake Michigan, yeah, you know, that's mm-hmm. gonna. They don't have any hurricanes up there in the summer, so obviously they might see credit. Okay, in that in a scenario like that. And if they wouldn't uh, advise the insurance company that they're going to change their location, then they might not be covered. Correct. Right, in the and then it's uh, no coverage. Okay. Because if the claim happened while they're outside their navigating limits, they are in breach of warranty because mm. it's it's stated in the policy mm-hmm. that they have to be in that. Vicinity. I understand. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Next question. Is there a limit to the year of a yacht for getting insurance? Um, the answer is no, but it's, it becomes a lot harder to insure really older boats, that, you know, especially if they're like wooden in, the, in Florida mm. and they're, you know, from the 1920s or 1940s classics, you know, stuff like that. That's a specialty niche market. There is people that do it, but it becomes harder. So the short answer is no, there isn't a cap, but less markets are willing to write in certain areas, especially here in Florida, than um, if they were newer, because Mm -hmm. everyone wants the new brand new boat because it's an easy risk to insure. And is there like a year uh, from which it will become harder? For example, if it's older than 2000, or if it's older than 2005, is there like approximately a year where you would say a boat that is newer than 2005 will get the insurance? But it's a that's a tricky one. There, it depends on the underwriter. Um, each carrier works differently and what their appetite is. But you know, if the boat is uh, 12 years or newer, it seems everyone wants those, especially okay. if they're over two million dollars. And and even in the recreational, smaller recreational marine boats that are under two mil, if it's new to twelve years of age, those are uh, usually really great insurable risk for them. They okay. so they tend to like those. Um, it gets harder to place them after that, but not impossible. We have markets can do that, but with less markets, usually the the rates are a little higher because mm-hmm. they they know it's a lot, kind of a last resort market and no one else wants it. Yeah. So if someone is is thinking about buying a yacht and they're trying to think, you know, what the insurance is gonna cost, if they get a yacht that is twelve years older, if it's twelve years or newer then they will probably get a better price on insurance, right? It depends. I mean, there's other things, too. Um, you know, down here in Florida, everyone loves their quads engines, you know, mm-hmm. or at least their triples. Um, so there's different appetites for each carrier. The rule, What I'd recommend doing is if you have someone that's looking at two different vessels and one's older than the other one, just go get a quote in advance. Um, mm-hmm. That way, and start as a yacht broker, I'd start the process a little earlier because... Mm-hmm. If uh, just to get them an idea of what to shop it out because once they know that price in their head of what it's going to cost for insurance mm-hmm. and with understanding that you know they can once they're serious about their decision they can shop it aggressively but at least having that tentative quote there to know kind of what the the value is then they can work everything into their calculations about mm-hmm. the what they kind of boat they want to um, can afford it realistically and maintain with mm-hmm. all the 
everything included, including the insurance on the, the boat. Yes, that's very good. Or the yacht, advice. I should say. <laughs> yes, very nice. Yeah. Okay, next question. How much does insurance go up if someone is in Florida during hurricane season? Again, it's, I have to, you know, everything is based on what the carriers, um, what their underwriting guidelines are. And unfortunately, as an agent, they don't share them all with you, but we shop it out aggressively to all the available markets. Uh, I just did one recently. Now, this was a smaller, this was a sailboat, recreational marine, um, smaller division there, um, not uh, under the two mil. Um, and there was a, just this past week, we saw about a third reduction by having the boat up and going to Newport. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it was staying in Newport. So it became, mm-hmm. yes, he, the, uh, the owner was buying the boat in Florida, but his plan was to bring it up to Newport after um, July 1st, it'd be up there. And then it would remain and then be winterized. So mm-hmm. that, there was a huge savings on that. But you know, people don't always want to be up there in the cold weather because you can't use the boat year-round. Yeah. So I always say do plan what you want to do because this is a, a fun yes. fun uh, hobby, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and the owners, whatever they want, we can get accomplished for them. Just get the quotes in advance yes. and then they know. Of course. You don't want to make the decisions of where you're going to be traveling and the adventures you want to have on your yacht based right. on the insurance costs, right? right? Then there's always going to be a, a, a market that's out there that, that can place coverage for the, the owners. Um, so don't let that deter you because, yeah, you, you can save a lot of money, but if you're not using your boat, they, they <laughs> like, want the point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want to be able to enjoy it and you do it year yeah. round. Take it down here and the crew in Florida, it's great. Yes. And, anyways, many people like to go up to Newport and, you know, the Northeast mm-hmm. for the summer because it's too hot here, anyways. So, in that case, that would work better for their insurance anyways right right and not only that yeah the premium might go down but how much is the fuel to get up there so oh, yeah. you know you <laughs> gotta or to winterize the boat and put it on the hard or whatever so these mm-hmm. are things that is it really cost savings it just depends on the individual and what they've yeah. arranged uh, so do it the bottom line is do what you want to do uh, just tell your agency in advance what your plan is and then they'll shop accordingly of course and is it I mean do you get a better price if you do it in advance? No, but don't wait till the last second because you got to give the underwriters the chance to quote insurance. And the more time you give the agency to shop it out, the more markets they will have available to mm. you to get wait for the quotes to come back. But if you wait for that last second to get, then you're rushing to get to the market, get one, and then just to get something in place to bind for the closing the next mm. day. But they have more time to shop if uh, if you give them uh, two weeks or so to do okay, it. Okay, so two weeks is enough time? Yeah, once okay. you're under contract, make sure, I mean, if you're on the fence, if you want to see what what coverage would be because of that, like let's say the older boat scenario that we just mentioned, that is my vessel this age or this versus one, what will the premium be? Mm-hmm. Um, you can always get that tentative quote in, in advance, but when you're serious about an under contract, that that's when you should start definitely shopping right away okay. and make sure you have it, especially if you're getting a loan on, a, on the boat, you're gonna need to have that figured out in advance because you can't close, they wanna make sure you have insurance in place. Yes. So the earlier you do it, the smoother the transition will be for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. 
Next question. If a hurricane is approaching, mm -hmm. what are the owner's responsibilities? To follow your hurricane plan to the best of your ability. Every carrier requires that you fill out a hurricane plan if you're going to be down here um, or where places are more hurricane prone. So the Gulf Coast, the Bahamas, the Caribbean, um, even the Carolinas now, mm. <laughs> and Georgia. But try and follow your hurricane plan. If you can't follow it, tell your email your um, agency or call them. I prefer email because then you have a writing trail, mm -hmm. but definitely call them and let them know what your alternative plan is. As long as you stay within your navigating limits, mm -hmm. most policies are designed where they don't warrant that you have to follow your hurricane plan. They just want to know you have one. Okay. So as long as you stay within your navigating limits and then try your best to secure the, the vessel and uh, then tell your your um, agency who then will inform the underwriter of your new plan. Um, then, then you're good. Um, that's what you have insurance for, is for sudden and accidental uh, things that you can't control, and mm -hmm. Mother Nature's one of them. Um, but what they really want you to do is stay safe. Of so course. obviously, once you secure the boat, they don't want you out there in the elements trying to weather the, the bad weather because now they'll have a damage on a, a yacht and potentially uh, injury or you know loss of life. So yeah, that's. Yeah. They want you to stay safe, so of get course. the boat, get the vessel secured, mm -hmm. and then get to safety. And what is a hurricane plan, for example? Like, what kind of things go in a hurricane plan? Okay, so for the larger vessels, they usually have a captain, a dedicated captain, that mm -hmm. his sole responsibility, or her sole responsibility is to secure that one vessel. Mm -hmm. uh, they want to see that they're tying down anything that could be t um, blow away, uh, removing them, uh, finding a safe um, berth or harbor mm -hmm. or a bay where it's a hurricane hole, if you will, that mm -hmm. they can anchor down, um, double lines, chafe gear. Um, there was a really nice presentation done a, a while back by a uh, towboat uh, where they were showing that in the seawall itself, the, the rope lines had sawed like a knife about this far into the, the actual concrete wall just from mm -hmm. the friction of going back and forth. So if you have chafe gear on the, uh, the thick ropes, then it will protect the ropes from snapping. Ah. So these are just little things the owners can do or the captain who mm -hmm. represents the owner. Um, but the, the captains are trained to do this, their crew. They know how to secure down everything that could fly away and mm -hmm. just do your best okay. and be uh, um, in touch with the neighbors. Mm -hmm. If you see another neighbor's boat that is in, not maybe their absentee, which is the worst fear of an underwriter, then if their boat doesn't look secure, go over there and try and secure it so that it's not going to cause a domino effect. Because if one yes. vessel, one yacht is not secured correctly, it could do a lot of damage, yes. which we've seen from the last few hurricanes we've had in the past since of 2017. Of course. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. That's very useful information. Now, are there other factors that could make insurance prices go up or down? Um, from the ones I've already discussed? Yes, I mean, we talked about the year. We talked about uh, the history of the boat and the owner. Well, right? high-performance vessels you know the that's a new trend well it's not new but it's more it's more common now to see triple and quad engines down here in florida with um 
with all the the boats that we have and just the, that's the new market niche and they they do uh, poker runs and stuff in Key West and um, those are well built boats but they're it's uh, convincing you know the uh, the underwriters get nervous when it's high performance and go fast speeds mm. so there's less markets willing to offer that not impossible but they're also now. Um, they have aggregates where they can only have X amount of risk in certain zip codes. So once they reach a certain dollar amount, they're told to stop writing in that because from an underwriting perspective, they don't want too many eggs in one basket in an area no. because, like, you know, those fleet, for instance, the fleets, uh, the, the charter fleets that they had, you know, down in the Caribbean, one hurricane can wipe out an entire fleet and those they're on the hook for all of those vessels yes. to be so that's a huge loss for the underwriter yes. so uh they have aggregates they need to meet so that's becomes trickier too that's things that can uh affect the rate um, and also mm. placement because there might be a really good program but they might have reached the capacity so and things like that you you just have to play around and be like well do you want to moor your boat maybe this a little further away but now we have that better product here, okay. so, but you just have to keep there. Just it just depends, you know. Okay. It's, it's what we're here for to help you out. Yeah, there's a lot to it. It is, yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, now, what makes one insurance company different from another? Um, well, as far as you mean the the agency side or the underwriters, the agency side. Okay, so from the agency side, it just it's uh, how knowledgeable they are about the different markets that are available in their market niche, and that in their in my market niche is well, we can do worldwide, but we have the majority of our boaters here in Florida, mm. um, where I'm based. So you want somebody that is knowledgeable, um, that cares, you know, that is mm -hmm. looking out for your best interest, that takes the time to go over the coverages if you have questions. These are things that you can stand out. So it's more customer service mm. and understanding what the marketplace is doing so that you can keep your clients abreast of current events and what can help them and add value to them and understanding like things about hurricane preparation and stuff like that. Mm. So that's where it'd be differentiate. Yes. Yes. So it's mostly about customer services, right? Like the relationship with the client and the personalized attention. Right, right. Because at the end of the day, you know, the, when you have a claim, you want to know that you're taking care of if someone cares mm -hmm. and does their, their, your advocate and they work um, between the, the carrier and yourself to resolve the matter. Yeah, that you know that they're going to answer the phone, right? Right, right. Yeah, I understand that. Okay. Next question. Do yacht owners require a recent survey to get their yachts insured? Yes. I mean, if it's brand new or close to being brand new, then you don't need a survey. Um, but after it's, you know, gets to a certain age and it depends on the carrier. But, you know, usually when you're buying a new yacht, you're going to want to have a survey done. I don't care if it's that new. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend that you do just because in three years time someone can neglect a, a vessel and it can quickly deteriorate or mm -hmm. they could have a hidden claim that they're not telling you about and you just in your best interest to know what you're up against so definitely you want to add a water survey sometimes they'll consider it in a water survey but with a dive inspection report but mm -hmm. it's just best to get it out of water survey and then depending on uh, the carrier they'll determine 
how many years go by before they require a new one. So if you're with the same carrier for a while, you might get have more leniency than if you start price shopping every like mm. few years, whatever. They obviously, if you're going with a new carrier, if the the vessel's now older and they don't have a current survey, they're going to require it before you they will they will shop it because mm-hmm. they just want to know what they're up against. So if someone already has a boat uh, yet for a few years and just wants to change insurance company, they might need to get a survey for the Depends. insurance. I mean, the first thing I would do is ask them for what their existing one, mm-hmm. and then we could submit that up. And then depending on the underwriter, they'll say, okay, that's fine. Um, or no, they want a new one done. Okay. They are looking for things they're looking for is um, at, at least they're accept, not accepting a lot nowadays uh, vessels surveys. It's very rare that they'll accept below average. So it has to have average condition status mm-hmm. or above average or excellent. You know, those are the things that they're looking for. Um, they get like with most people, if you have a lot of um, survey recommendations and a to-do list mm-hmm. there that's extremely long, then that's a red flag for them. So you want to make sure that you have a good survey. Mm-hmm. And the yacht owner should probably want that too. <laughs> they don't want to invest a, a whole slew of hidden problems. You want to have a, a good uh, vessel to be able to operate right away. Yeah, definitely. Enjoy. Definitely. Okay. What kind of survey deficiencies need to be addressed before coverage is given? If it's from the carrier's perspective, they'll say all of them because they want to make sure that even, but really it's the safety ones first. So usually the survey will have categories. They usually have A, safety, um, recommendations that are asterisked. Those are the most important because they want to make sure it's seaworthy. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they're not going to ensure a vessel that isn't seaworthy. Um, and then there, we know that the surveyor puts everything in there just because they're doing their due diligence for the possible for the buyer, mm-hmm. possibly new owner, to point out every nick and that's on the boat. That's more cosmetic. Um, but from the surveyor's point of view, I mean, not surveyor's point of view, from a underwriter's point of view, they just say, "Well, we want everything." Mm-hmm. So there's ways of you can say. Usually, um, if, if the safety ones, depending on the condition of the, the survey, if it comes back above average or excellent, then there's usually not that many survey recommendations. They're very manageable. As long as they get the safety ones done and they have a timeline of how they're going to address the other ones throughout the remaining policy term, they will be okay with it. But if it has a lot of recommendations, they're going to want to see that they immediately get dressed. We're seeing now that they're putting back the burden back onto the, the seller. Mm-hmm. because they won't find coverage or put it as port risk until the whole list is completed, which is not something that a buyer wants to take on. So, Or they might have, if they have a loan, they can't do port risk. Oh. So it, now we're seeing it go back to the, put the burden back onto the seller to get the boat up to, or the yacht up to, uh-huh. up to par so they can get the closing done for the new owner that's where in the past you had x amount of days to do it mm-hmm. there's not some carriers are still doing it but we have seen all of a sudden them requiring that they be addressed before they purchase mm-hmm. the vessel and, and get insurance um where in the past you like a home you had 30 days to get your repairs done mm-hmm. and now it's there we're seeing a couple of them not do that anymore that's interesting because uh, when I was interviewing Peter Lenton just 
recently about buying a yacht. We were talking about surveys and we were talking about is it better for the seller to fix whatever needs to be done or the buyer. And what we concluded is that if the seller fixes something right before selling their yacht, they're going to do it the least expensive way, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to do it like the minimum necessary just to pass the test. Right. But if the buyer does it, they're going to really put more money and effort into getting it done properly. So it's interesting that someone might not be able to buy a vessel until certain things are, are fixed. If they have a loan, a bank loan, that mm -hmm. says that they... Because banks, they'll demand that an FPC worthy, they're not going to... So if it's port risk, it's not moving, mm -hmm. they can't operate it, they don't want it, they won't get... Oh, they won't accept yeah. it. They won't get a loan on it. But if they're, if they don't have a loan, and they don't mind being at poor risk to get the things accomplished, but they usually want it to be done within a thirty-day period, or if certain things might take a little longer. So they, on they have a letter of survey recommendation uh, form that tells the timeline of when things will be completed. As long as they're reasonable time frames, usually the underwriter will work with you and say, okay, we can work with that. But they're not going to want to say, hey, let's, I'll get to it, you know, in eight months. No, because yeah. then they've already invested eight months of, of a 12-month period term. Yeah. They're going to say no. no they want to make sure it's done relatively quickly. Yeah, especially so, what you were talking about, safety. Those issues, right away. Right? They like, won't remove the port risk for that until yeah. those are seaworthy you know, and safety complied yeah. with the U.S. Coast Guard regulations. I can understand that, mm -hmm. of course. Okay, next question. What do you require for owner-operator insurance? Okay, so we get that a lot, especially down here. Um, so to get owner-operator, the rule of thumb is to stay within 10 feet jump in size from the previous boat you've owned okay or operated but really owned is the better you know so if you if you've operated and owned a 40-foot vessel and you're jumping to a 65 that is gonna they're not gonna most underwriters are gonna red flag that mm -hmm. they're gonna but if it was a 50 okay or if it was 45 no problem mm -hmm. you know so because they're like that's a gradual jump in size but when you get higher up there all of a sudden you start jumping they they want to see the experience that you've owned and operated boats at that size before they're also going to want to see a really great resume so they want to see things on your resume are the waters that you navigated because you can say hey i've operated a 60-foot vessel before but it was in the great lakes you're like, well, that's a lot different from the Bahamas. Mm -hmm. And that's where they, if they want to have their their new yacht and be able to operate in the Bahamas, they're going to say, well, you've never operated in the waters that you're planning to be moored and, mm -hmm. and navigate. So, no. Um, so, things to think about are a great resume. If they have a captain's license or a six-pack you know, six license or a 100-ton, uh Feature that on the resume form. Most uh, agencies have their standard uh, resume form that you fill out. It's yes, there's questions, and you just fill them out. Um, so waters navigated, showcase that. Um, vessels that you've owned or operated. If you want to, sometimes you might be on the cusp there. Say you have that 40 foot that you've owned for 20 years, or you know, and you've been a experienced boater. You've gradually jumped up from starting in the you know that 16 foot a little 
boat in the in the lakes from a, as a kid to mm-hmm. now owning a 40 foot if they've loved and cared for 20 years but now you want that nice sports fish that's like a 65 um but you need to bridge or 55 let's just say 55 that's okay. more reasonable 55 then you don't it's a 15 foot gap but let's just say that you've been practicing on your friends gone on multiple fishing trips on mm. a 50 foot or a 52 foot now you put that in there and it's not just oh i did it once and i took that mm-hmm. you know no we've been on this boat for the last four years i've taken the helm you know i've been operating this we've gone on multiple voyages together and taken shifts then that is also taken into consideration there's mm-hmm. it's easier time the other thing you can do is if you're on that cusp there where they just don't feel comfortable with your ability to operate on your own because of the jump in size, what they can do is hire a part-time captain initially to train them on their new vessel for a period of time in the waters where they're going to be primarily um, operating or navigating. And then that captain can fill out a letter of recommendation after an extended period of time getting sea time and they can log the hours in of what they've where they've been what they've practiced and if the captain feels comfortable with their ability he can write a letter of recommendation and we can submit that to the underwriter for their review and if it's you know everything shows correctly that it'll make better chances of them getting approved mm-hmm. now for vessels that are over 65 feet it becomes harder to get owner-operator approved. Not impossible, but harder. Especially after all the hurricane activity and stuff, they're under pressure to write good risk. Mm-hmm. So the underwriting guidelines have gotten stricter. Mm-hmm. So as long as they have a good resume, um, great boating history showing that they've gradually jumped up in size and vessels and uh, no claims history, they are more likely to get approved. Okay, under 65 feet, right? That's a rule, soft rule, I'd uh-huh. say. It's not rule of thumb. It's not the, like, that's it. Yeah. Um, and we have gotten people approved up to 100 foot, but this is, they had a 100-ton foot, a 100-ton license. They were operating boats, you know, that were of that size before. Hmm. So there's... It's difficult, though, right? It's more difficult. Yeah. Not impossible. Okay. And we'll leave it at that. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, and, you know, well, and we're always willing to try. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Are there any yachts that can't get insurance? Um, ones that are not seaworthy. <laughs> you know, yeah. If it's, <laughs> it's scraps and it's going to, you know, they can get insurance, but it would be like, you know, it wouldn't be for a typical hull and um, machinery and P&I policy. Uh-huh. That's a builder's risk or something like that. Okay. Um, uh, it becomes more difficult if they have, um, like say they were in a pending claim that's a large sizable claim and mm-hmm. then they let their coverage lapse. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, it's going to be hard to find a carrier that will want to take it on because it's a pending claim Okay. and they, they didn't re- renew their policies and they, uh-huh. they'll be in a pickle in that situation. But most of the time you can get coverage. Okay. Mm-hmm. Will yacht insurance cover the yacht wherever it's cruising, or is it limited to a certain geographical area? That goes back to what we were talking about with the navigating limits. Mm-hmm. Each policy has defined what their navigating limits are on the policy. Usually it's on the deck page, or if or has note of it in the, the actual policy itself outlining their navigating limits. Some are broader than others. 
Um, it's usually on what it's based on what the owner tells the agent at the time, or in the, hence the underwriter, of where they plan to navigate for the, the annual term. Now, if they want to change that, then they would just need to call in advance or send an email to their agent, let notify them, and then they would tell the new plan of where they want plan to go, and then they would get a new rate, or it might be a surcharge or a credit, depending on where they plan to, to go. Okay. Some yachts, some of our mega yachts, they are worldwide coverage. Of course, there's some hot spots that you know are do not go areas like off the coast of Somalia, you know, mm. or um, but that's for political reasons and safety um, mm-hmm. more than. More than hurricanes, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, more, yeah, that's just that, that's a common sense. They wouldn't want to, because if the government seizes their boat over there, the chance of them getting back is, you know, zilch. Of course. They want to protect their risk. Okay, so generally people can insure their yachts to go pretty much anywhere in the world without a problem. Correct. Correct. And then what we do is, every, in all agencies, they're pretty much the same. Upon renewal, that's the time we check in with our owners and we send out renewal questionnaires. And one of the questions on there is, where do you plan to navigate? Because a lot of times they, it slips their mind, you know, that they forgot to tell you that, oh, hey, we're thinking going here. And the last thing you want is to be in breach of warranty if you're navigating limits. Because mm-hmm. if you did to have a huge claim and you're not where you're supposed to be, it's null and void there. You're not going to get any coverage. Yeah, yeah, that's a big you, problem. Yeah, you aren't where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But as long as you tell them in advance and, um, yeah. Cool. You can get taken care of. Okay, next question. If a yacht owner has a claim, will the cost of their policy automatically go up? Depends. Not necessarily. So, for instance, uh, if you have a run out of gas and break down or somewhere and you need to get a tow that's way differently than if you're had a lightning claim mm-hmm. so if you just had a towing it's technically a claim but it doesn't get marked necessarily against you as it would like a lightning claim so in that case they might not increase it but if you had a substantial lightning claim and there was a lot of electrical damage and um, electronics had to be replaced the, yeah they they are on the hook for a large sum of money they're gonna you can expect an increase in premium but mm-hmm. it'll be gradual it won't be like necessarily a huge sticker shock mm-hmm. um, the increase in premium is because there might be more problems coming up after that claim well, they have or? to recoup their cost on you as an investment okay. too i mean we're not a non-profit no, um, we run it's a, a for-profit industry so they already lost money on you because mm-hmm. they took the chance that you know they're insuring risk and but that's what you have insurance for mm-hmm. is for sudden accidental but when they do have a hit on there usually it's a huge hit and yes. therefore they have to recoup a little bit so they're going to increase the pre- premium but it mm-hmm. won't be huge amounts like they'll do it over a period of time assuming that you'll be loyal to them continue staying with them since mm-hmm. they made made you whole after a claim yes Yes. Okay, that sounds fair. Mm-hmm. Okay, next question. Is the carrier's decision based in any way on who the yacht was built by? Yes, and so it depends. On each carrier has their own boats they like and ones they don't. And it's usually on how many had claims in the past. So mm-hmm. uh, brands that are well-respected in the industry that have longevity, that have been around for a long period of time, 
They know there's a history on them for, and they can look at the claims history. They they know that they're going to be solid vessels and well made. They're mm-hmm. going to be okay with insuring them. Ones that are newer brands that are entering the marketplace, they might not have as many underwriters. The so underwriters are going to be cautious about them mm-hmm. because they don't know whether it's going to be like the Titanic sink. You know what I mean? <laughs> so they they uh, will do their research ahead of time, uh-huh. um, especially. If it's not been in the marketplace for a while, they'll they'll look at it, and then if they think it's a sound risk, then they'll insure it. Some other underwriters are more cautious than others, so they'll wait and let others test it out first. Mm-hmm. And then if they after a few years in the marketplace, if they uh, haven't shown any large claims on the the vessels for functionality and stuff like that, mm-hmm. then they'll say okay, and they'll probably they'll dip their toes in and also start insuring them. Okay. That sounds good. And if someone's yacht is total loss, would that owner be able to get insurance for the next yacht that they buy? Um, it depends. It depends on their previous claim history. So if they've had multiple large claims, it becomes a lot more difficult. Even if they have, uh, you know, mega yachts and stuff, um, mm-hmm. if they have substantial claims and they have over like in the last like five ten years they're gonna look at like i said the owner and their their claims history as well mm-hmm. as the new yacht so it weighs against them but most they can be insured again i it's, mean if it's one time i guess it's different right yeah so if they had been a boater for 20 years and they've had no claims and all of a sudden um hurricane irma hits and they have a total loss scenario and they did everything in their power to secure the boat and it's um and keep it safe and just Mother Nature decide that it wasn't going to be their day, mm-hmm. then, yeah, they'll get insurance elsewhere. Okay. But, yeah, that's, they take that into consideration. But if someone has a constant record of claims and there are different things, mm-hmm. then they start getting a little wary because yeah. then it looks more like could they have done different things or prevent the claim. Yes, I understand. So they're looking for responsible owners right to ensure right they want to make sure that they're doing the right things to prevent claims right of course okay when insuring a yacht are the engines and generators also insured yes mm-hmm. okay and what about the tender the tender is insured um you just have to notify the carrier like the mega yachts a lot of them have a uh, built-in language into the policy that gives them X amount of dollars for having a tender even if they don't schedule it and let them know if they forget to you know say the captain buys a, a, a new tender for the owner and they forget to tell the the carrier that they switched the tenders there's usually well first they have newly acquired cover um, yacht coverage on there for X, like 30 days but then they also have some for tenders they have a little bit of coverage in place for the larger yacht policies mm-hmm. um, and then for if the vessel is kept, like, say it's a dinghy ten- tender, you know, or it's inflatable, like 12 foot or, you know, inflatable dinghy there, they, a lot of times they'll cover them if they carry it on board the vessel. But for the smaller recreational policies, you, some of them, they want to know, uh, have to schedule it or there's no coverage for the tender. So those are things that you always just want to make sure to let your agent know mm-hmm. if you have tenders or personal watercraft mm-hmm. um, any toys let them know in advance because they'll want to schedule them on for your policy or make sure they're covered of course mm-hmm. yeah some tenders can be worth a lot of money correct yeah so it's 
important to have them insured. And what about the jet skis? Jet skis, same thing. Like they're the personal watercraft. If they're carried on board the vessel on the larger policies, they're um, covered usually right automatically, but they want to know the make and model just in case you ever some have it where they schedule them on the policy. Some just um, you notify the, the carrier, but you don't have, see it on the policy, just that's included. But jet skis can become interesting if they're not carried on board and that they're used independently of the main vessel. So say that there's the owner has a son or daughter that keeps the jet skis at their house, but it's not where mm. the main vessel is kept. Like maybe the main vessel is kept in the Bahamas and the jet ski is separate somewhere else. Now they don't like that scenario. Mm -hmm. So what they'll do is um, recommend you might have to get like a separate jet ski policy and like progressives or the, like something like that. Progressive can easily ride a jet ski and they'll have a small standalone policy for that if they're keeping it independent from mm -hmm. the main vessel. But if it's being kept with the main vessel, yes, they're being covered. Okay. What is not covered by a yacht insurance policy? Well, it depends on the policy, but just it's a that's a hard one to answer. But I can just give you a few examples of like for each policy is broken down. What you have the the whole the property damage section of the policy, and then you have the liability. Mm -hmm. So for an example for liability, if you intentionally it's an intentional act, like you did something to deliberately cause a claim, a liability claim, then then it's not going to be covered. Of course. So that's like an example of that. And that's like in every single policy. Yeah. Um, if for like property damage to the whole, um, things that they don't typically cover are things that you should have been do doing as maintenance. So wear and tear, mm. mold, um, gradual deterioration. Mm-hmm. Uh, Insurance policies are set. They're not for maintenance. You know, no, they're there for sudden and accidental reasons that mm -hmm. aren't beyond your control. So you, you can't just be like, oh, this is becoming obsolete. I want it replaced. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm going to just file a claim. No, it doesn't work that way. Of so those course. are things that you would typically see that most policies are all policies that I've seen that are um, not covered. Mm -hmm. But the other ones are. So those are the actual parts, you know, mm -hmm. that are not covered. If they cause, like, those aren't. If those wear and tear items are a cause of a greater claim that happens, mm. then they won't cover it for that part, but they'll cover it for the consequential damage. Okay. So those, you know what I mean? So they, there's things like that. Okay. But it depends on the claim itself and how the policy is written. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Which things should I take into consideration when deciding on my deductible? Well, if you have a bank loan, it's determined by the bank. Mm -hmm. So the bank will requirements. Um, I have seen them do like 5% before on higher performance vessels. Um, but typically, they on a standard bank loan, they want to see no greater than a 2% whole deductible. So they want to see 2% or less. Okay. Uh, if, uh, if, you're not, if you don't have to deal with the financing on the banks, then... It's up to basically your personal preference. The higher the deductible, the lower the premium is, but is it worth it? So you have to calculate that. Are you a gambling mm -hmm. person? Like, you know, for a 100-foot yacht, that 3% uh, deductible can be extremely high on your wallet versus, mm -hmm. like, if it's only a 100K recreational boat, that's maybe, mm -hmm. like, you're like, oh, 3% is only 3,000. Not that big of a deal. I can make, hit, take that hit if I had for... 
and have the lower premium. Mm-hmm. So it's really just up to the individual owner's preference. Yeah. Okay. And which tips could you give a yacht owner to reduce the cost of their insurance? Stay claims free. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of them have continuity bonuses on the mega yachts um, where if they're, they're rewarded for not having a claim upon renewal. Mm. So they can see things like go down, whether it be their whole deductible mm-hmm. or um, their premium. So mm-hmm. those are things that can help. Just follow good safety boating practices. Um, maintain your vessel. Don't let it go into disrepair. Um, but yeah, that's probably it. <laughs> yeah. Be a responsible person. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kate. Yeah. Now, if anyone wants to contact you for questions about insurance or to, sure. to get help with an insurance policy, what is the best way to reach you? They can give me a call. Um, my direct line is 954-289-6052, or they can shoot me an email. I'll put Kate's email in the episode's notes. I'll also put the website for your okay. company. So if anyone wants to call Kate, she'll be happy to help you. Okay, perfect. All right. Hope I helped you out. Yes, you did. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoyed our show. Please remember to rate us and subscribe, and we'll see you next time. That's all for today. Feel free to send us your questions or comments to theyachtpodcast.com. And if you're considering the sale or purchase of a yacht and would like Miriam to be your broker, email miriam at lentonyachts.com. That's M-I-R-I-A-M at L-E-N-T-O-N-Y-A-C-H-T-S dot com. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time.